We are in First, Second Samuel chapter 11 tonight, uh, continuing on, but let's go ahead and pray before we get into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your Word that, uh, God, you give us this Word so that we might learn about your character, the characters of, of those that you interact with in the Bible, and more than, more than anything, Lord, that we might know your standard for righteousness and that we might be made righteous through you, your Son, Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Lord, that you've paid the price for us on that cross. And now, as we come to your word, we pray, Lord, that we just submit ourselves to you completely, that your Holy Spirit would uh, challenge us, exhort us, encourage us, and train us for righteousness, as your word will do. So we thank you, and we expect you to do wonderful things in our lives after tonight. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 11, continuing on with the story of David. And uh, last week we started kind of a hard section of this chapter. It's probably my least favorite uh, chapter in the whole of Second Samuel uh, because it deals with the fall of, of David and how he uh, had this affair with Bathsheba. And of course, last week we talked about the issue of uh, sexual immorality, lust, and all those things that led up to him on that rooftop and with Bathsheba. Well, now we're continuing on. And uh, last week, I challenged you a little bit about how God deals with sin and how man deals with sin. Man always tries to cover up sin and hide sin. Remember the Garden of Eden, how, uh, how when the eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened and they realized that they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together, they made coverings for themselves of fig leaves, and they were hiding among the trees of the garden when they heard the Lord God coming through the garden. And uh, that's, that is man just trying to cover it up for himself. Of course, Achan, we know that Achan tried to cover up his sin uh, when he was told not to take of the devoted things of the Lord when Israel was, uh, was starting to conquer the land. And, and he had taken those devoted things and hidden them under his tent. And it did not end well for him or his whole family. Throughout the scriptures, we'll see times when man tries to cover up sin and it only gets worse and worse and worse. But the way God deals with sin is so different and we're not going to totally get to God dealing with sin this week. That'll be next week. But when God deals with sin, he exposes sin. Not just for the destruction of the sinner, but actually for the redemption of the sinner. God exposes sin to call to repentance the sinner and, and for the sinner to be broken free of those chains. So tonight, as we continue on in the story of David, we're going to start out at verse 6. So let's go ahead and get into the scripture. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 6. Then David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, the people uh, come to him. David asked how, how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war, uh, the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? 
as you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Let me pause there for a moment. So David has found out that Bathsheba has become pregnant with, from this affair that they had with his child. And Uriah, her husband, is out battling uh, with Joab and the armies of David. They are trying to take down Ammon. And uh, so David has a scheme. He has a plan. And we're going to see there's three phases that come with David's plan. And in these three phases, we're going to see it just gets worse and worse and worse for David until eventually it, it leads to the murder of Uriah. But the first phase of the plan, David figures out that, hey, I know what to do. I'll just get Uriah home from the battlefield. I'll get him home from the front. He'll spend time with his wife. Problem solved. Nobody will know it's my child, and, and we can go on with no problem. Unfortunately, there's a big problem. You see, in phase one, the problem is, is Uriah is a man of integrity and versus David is becoming a very dishonest king. Uriah's got this integrity, and he does not obey what David, uh, he does not fall into David's plan. The concept of hiding sin is so deceitful, and the more you try to hide sin, the more deceitful you'll get, and the more entrenched in your sin you'll become. And that's one of the problems when man deals with sin. John 3, verse 20, as Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, he says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed, right? Isn't that why sinners hide their sin? No one wants to be exposed as a sinner. No one wants to be exposed for what they're doing. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. And so the child of God, the child of the light, comes into the light and is not so afraid of his deeds being exposed because he's letting God deal with his sin because Jesus Christ came and paid the price for our sin that we might be given a clean conscience. Now, that sounds easy, but the problem is, is man in his wickedness, especially the Christian man or woman, may get into the practice of ongoing sin in their life. And when they get into that practice, they don't break free of it because they have a, an appearance to uphold, a facade to uphold. And I'll tell you right now, get rid of it. The facade is worth nothing. The Bible is very clear that, that he who walks in darkness lies and does not live by the truth. But we want to walk in the light as he is in the light. And so when, what we need to do is start bringing our sin into the light. Well, David doesn't do that. David says, Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. In verse 8, come on in from the battlefield. How's everybody doing? Uriah's kind of, or David's kind of playing it up. Go down and wash your feet. Now, I'm not sure about this wash your feet. I think this might be a euphemism for go be with your wife. Uh, certainly, we, we, uh, I, I'm not sure why he states that. Maybe it's just go get cleaned up and rest for a little bit. But uh, a lot of commentators that I read say they think it might be a euphemism. I couldn't find the source of that, but I do think it's a little bit of a strange statement to make to somebody who's come home from the battlefield. Go home and wash your feet. Okay. <laughs> so, so, you know, I don't know. So, you know, if you're looking for a code word, husbands and wives, maybe you could say, hey, let's wash our feet tonight, you know. I'm just kidding around. Anyway. Sorry. <laughs> 
I got to laugh. <laughs> so, I'm a terrible comedian. Anyway, let's get back to the word. All right. So this may be some sort of euphemism. I don't know. But, but um, he encourages Uriah to go and, and uh, be with his wife. And, but the problem is, look at Uriah. He doesn't do it. In fact, where we find Uriah is he's sleeping with the servants and not at all going to his house. Now, some of you women might think, well, well that's messed up. Doesn't he miss his wife? Doesn't, shouldn't he want to be with his wife? And, and I, I know from a, probably a, a, a woman's perspective, you're kind of like, uh, does Uriah even love his wife? Well, it's not about that. You see, for Israel, when they would go off to war, there was something to be said for them abstaining from uh, relationships during that time. We read about it in 1 Samuel. There's a reference to, remember, remember when David went to the, the, uh, the tabernacle and he tried to take the, the showbread, uh, the, the loaves, because he was hungry, and the priest said, okay, you can have it, but as long as your men have abstained from sexual relationships. And it was the idea of keeping pure during this time of battle. Now, we don't know for sure. It wasn't certainly a command of the Lord. We do know that uh, there were some commands in the Levitical law about omissions and that it would make you unclean. And so it's very possible that the men of Israel wanted to be clean for battle and right before the Lord. But more than that, we see that Uriah's explanation is that the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servant of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go back to my house and eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Uriah in his integrity, he, he, uh, he says, I, I won't do it. Psalm twenty five twenty one says, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. And you know who wrote that? David. David wrote that. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. And it's kind of sad at this point in David's life, we don't see him marked by integrity or uprightness, but rather he's marked by being dishonest and the man Uriah the Hittite is the one who's marked by integrity. Uriah refused to go and sleep in his household because he knew that the people of Israel were out uh, lying in tents and camps. And I, I want to say too that this is something that, that we see that we as Christians were even charged to have an attitude similar, similar to Uriah. In Romans 12 15 and 16. You got that, Garrett? Romans 12, 15 and 16. Paul writes to the church in Rome, and this is what he writes. I'm wait for it to pull up. I forgot to give Garrett my text before we started here. So he's typing furiously right now. And Romans 12. You can also just open in your Bibles too. That's Romans 12, 15 and 16. It says, uh, there we go. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. So the instruction here from Paul is that we're, we as Christians are to have the same mind together. We're, we're, it, it's foolish to not comfort those who are grieving or start laughing when people are weeping or, or uh, trying to disassociate yourself from some other 
individual circumstance. Uh, as Christian brethren, we want to minister to one another and recognize that, hey, when, when there's a part of the body grieving, we grieve with them. When there's a part rejoicing, we rejoice with them. And sometimes it's the difference of a day, a moment, a place, a meeting. You know, you might, you might be grieving with a widow or widower uh, or someone who's lost their child in the morning, and you might be celebrating with a birth in the afternoon, but you certainly don't bring the same emotions and same reaction into both circumstances. You you have the same mind with one another. And here Uriah is saying, no, I can't go and be comfortable in my house when I'm supposed to be out there in the battlefield with Israel. Now, do you remember at the beginning of the chapter, we were told in the spring when kings go off to war, David was up on his roof. See, David really should have been out at war with with the rest of his troops. And if he would have been at war and had that same mindset, that same integrity as Uriah, he wouldn't be in this mess. But phase one goes horribly wrong for David to cover up his sin. He's now become, he's added dishonesty and deceit to the sin of adultery. Well, going on from there, verse 12, it says, Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also and tomorrow, and I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now, when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Phase two, again, Uriah thwarts the plan of David. You see, in phase two, we see that Uriah cared for his fellow soldiers, still wouldn't do it. Uh, Uriah shows a caring heart, uh, but David only cares for himself. So David complicates this issue. Okay, I know what I'll do. I got to loosen Uriah up a little bit. Got to get him a little tossed, you know, get him drunk. And, and once we get him drunk, then, uh, then sure, he'll probably just kind of stumble into his household and problem solved. But even as he feasts and drinks with Uriah, Uriah goes and lays with the servants in their quarters. Um, This is a devoted man. And you know what the saddest part about all this is, is this is a man that, that David really would want fighting for him. This is a man that David should be lifting up for his integrity. But because of David's sin, he's absolutely ruining Uriah. It's David's sin, David caring for himself and not caring for the other that makes this so terrible. You see, sin makes you self-serving and self-loving. And there's nothing in Scripture that tells you to go love yourself. No, we're actually told to love our neighbor as ourselves. See, the problem isn't that we don't love ourselves. We all love ourselves way too much. Even the people that tend to to feel down or even depressed, oftentimes there's too much self in focus and not enough of God and others in focus. And when we start to really love others and focus on loving the Lord and loving others and ministering to others and bringing the word out to others and recognizing that there is a lost world that is dying, they are going to hell and you and I have an opportunity as ambassadors of Christ to reconcile, to, to let them know about this wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ, that they might be saved and we can give this beautiful message to them. We're too busy loving ourselves. 
we're too busy seeking self because oftentimes sin gets in the way. Now, this is not to guilt people into doing more for the Lord. Remember, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith, and that's a gift of God. But the point is, is oftentimes if you start to sin and start to cover up sin, all it's going to do is make you more self-loving, self-absorbed, and, and focused on self. And you'll see slowly that relationships dwindle, purpose dwindles. Uh, all you do is start focusing on how you can care for self. And David here is not recognizing Uriah and his worth. He's just recognizing how I can get out of my sin. He's not seeing that Uriah is, is a guy that he would want fighting for him. He, David still has not brought his sin into the light. Uriah, on the other hand, cared for his fellow soldiers. Well, let's go ahead and go on to phase three here. Phase three, verse 14. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. Phase three, send Uriah back to the front lines with letter in hand that says murder Uriah. That's phase three. Okay, I can't get Uriah to play ball. I can't get him to go be with his wife sober. I can't get him to go be with his wife drunk. The only, my only other option is, hey, if I get this guy to die in battle, now I can take his widow, his pregnant widow into my household. Everybody will see what a great guy I am, what a great king. I can bring her into my household and I'm going to look really good. So that's phase. Now we'll see next week that that phase doesn't work well at all for David because God sees. God sees all. There's no sin that is hidden from the eyes of God. God sees it and uh, he'll, he'll bring it to the light. But Uriah is loyal, and we know Uriah is loyal because David actually entrusts this letter in the hand of Uriah. Can you believe that? He, he knows, I know that Uriah will do what I tell him to do. I know he's the loyal kind. He's not even going to read this letter because if I say, give this letter only to Joab, he'll give it only to Joab. So Uriah is loyal, and we see that David is treacherous. And sin makes us plot and scheme against loved ones and those who are truly for us and not against us. Just consider for a moment within a marriage relationship or a family relationship, uh, kids will scheme to lie to their parents. Husbands or wives will scheme to cover up sin against to their, their spouses. That's what sin does. It causes you to lie to those that are for you, who love you, who care for you, who are not against you. And yet Uriah, who is the one without sin, he can be as loyal as, he's just so loyal and he doesn't scheme or he's not treacherous. He's excited to do the work to which his king has called him to do. To do. David knew that Uriah was trustworthy. And uh, we, we see that uh, David, it's time for David's hands to get dirty but he can't do it himself. So he has Joab do it. And this is probably even more disgusting. David intends on the murder of Uriah, but he knows that Joab is the guy to get it done. It's kind of makes your skin crawl. 
you know, because Joab is this, Joab is a carnal guy. We, we've already seen Joab throughout First and Second Samuel. He's a, an incredible warrior in general, uh, but he's brutal. And he's not the type of guy that I think I'd be like, yeah, let's be best friends, Joab, because he might stab you in the gut, right, as he did. (laughs) You don't know what Joab would do. But David knows that Joab's the guy I need. Joab will get this job done. And you got to wonder what the witness was to Joab. Joab fully knew what was happening here. David wants Uriah dead. There's no question about it. In fact, Joab in his response to David knows that even the orders to send Uriah next to the wall would, would be a terrible military blunder, and you wouldn't do that. Here, look, look, let's go on and read this. It says, verse 18, Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king... If it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of uh, Jerubasheth? Was it not the woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So Uriah knows full well. He's, He's not deceived by David. He knows that this would be a military mistake to send people close to the wall. Well, what's he referencing? Well, if you turn over to Judges chapter 9, verse 50, Judges chapter 9, verse 50, this is what he's referencing. And he's, he's calling back to a military battle. And, and Joab is well aware of this. Judges chapter 9, verse 50. And they're pulling it up. And you can also open your Bibles. It works the same way. Oh, there we go. It's, uh, we see, then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city and all the men and women, all the people of the city fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it. And he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, a woman killed me. Talk about chauvinistic, ladies, right? So his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. So what happened here is Abimelech is uh, trying to lay siege to this tower the woman drops the millstone on his head and crushes He knows he's dying. And he says, well, I don't want everybody telling, talking about me, saying that a woman killed me. You know, what kind of a great warrior dies by a, by a woman? Well, there's a few great warriors who get killed by women in the Bible. And we see that, you know, the woman's like, boy, how stupid is this guy? Watch this. Boom. You know, <laughs> shows him to be the fool he is. So. He has his armor bearer run him through <laughs> and kill him. And so he thinks, he thinks, okay, great. Nobody's going to think I got killed by a woman. This is great. But here, way later on, <laughs> hundreds of years later, we have Joab referencing this event of him being killed by a woman. It, his, his plotting didn't work at all. But all that to say that Joab knew full well that running up next to the walls of a city 
was a fool's errand. People are going to die if you do that, if you attack just next to the walls. It's not the way to lay siege to the city. So, so he actually gives back to David. He said, look, David's probably going to get upset when I tell him how the battle's actually going because we staged this event next to the wall so Uriah would be put to death. That's what we just did. We, we actually didn't just kill Uriah, but we killed others in this event because we had to get Uriah dead. Pretty sad commentary on, on sin and where it leads us. So, so David says, so when, when, or sorry, Uriah, Joab says, when David gets angry, you just tell him that, don't, don't worry, Uriah the Hittite, he's dead also. And uh, <clears throat> just think about what's happened here. For a moment, consider the progression into sin, and maybe you will take it as a warning. This all started with a temptation on a rooftop. Maybe it actually started with a temptation not to go to war, not to be where he was supposed to be, but nonetheless, he was up on a rooftop, rooftop, and he sees Bathsheba bathing. Well, what could he have done at that moment? What do you think, men? What could David have done at that moment? What's that? Anything Anything else. Turn away. Walk away. Go make some popcorn, right? I don't know, sharpen your sword, do something. But, but certainly don't sit there and stare at Bathsheba because that temptation, which was not sin, it was temptation, but it turned to lust, which became sin. As he started to lust after Bathsheba, the lust turned into an invitation to her to come to him, and she came. And the lust turned into adultery, and adultery then turned into deception, And the deception became murder. See this progression of events? Boy, wouldn't it have been so much easier for David not to trade up that moment, just to turn the other way in that moment? Now, like I said before, we see the worst of David in this sin. But we're going to see that God, being the redeemer that he is, not that you ever can justify sin, but God is going to do something good with this incident Because God is good, he's going to turn it for good. Of course, we know that eventually Jesus comes from the line of Bathsheba and David. Uh, We're going to see that progression come all the way down. Uh, Solomon is the child of Bathsheba and David, and then comes uh, through them comes Jesus. But the, the point of this is not that sin is ever justified or that sin is ever good, but because we serve a good God... When we turn to him in repentance, he can take our sin when we come into the light and he can turn it around and do good in our lives. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't trust God to do. They think that, no, 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 I just got to keep hiding it. I got to keep being deceitful. I got to keep, keep doing it my way versus doing it God's way and submitting to him. And I would encourage you, trust me, do the opposite. You do it God's way. Don't do it your way because the fact is, as you and I have been given a way to freedom, you and I have been given the ability to be, be victorious over sin, not to walk in sin. God has equipped us with his Holy Spirit. He's, he's given us every gift of heaven, a new mind. You can say no to sin. You can come into the light and get rid of sin. But uh, a lot of times you think that it's better for you to stay hidden. Don't do that. You come into the light, you deal with your sin, get, get prayer, 
be prayed over, confess your sin, that you might be healed. That's what you should do. Well, uh, sin is always going to ruin people. Let's look at verse 22. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field when we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants and some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messengers, thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it so encourage him. So David, when he finds out that Uriah is dead, Look at how he answers. Well, the sword devours one as the other. Eh, hey, it happens, you know. It's no problem. No big deal, right? It's just kind of people get killed in battle. We'll move on. Be encouraged, right? Oh, whew, problem solved. <laughs> Took care of that. No, no, you didn't take care of it, David. It's just hiding. And God won't let his servant perish like that. God disciplines those he loves. And we'll see that next week. Well, uh, it says that when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And I think that's the key thing there. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. It was never hidden from God. And sin is never hidden from God. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to flip over there. Sorry for keeping you on your toes tonight, Garrett. Appreciate you stepping in. Garrett stepped in tonight, and uh, I'm making it a trial for him. You got it? Okay. Luke 13. So... Luke 13, there's a little story, and it says there were present at, at that season some, of, some who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Um, and uh, basically, there was uh, an incident that happened where Pilate had killed the Jews while they were sacrificing. Uh, they kind of had started a, a, a little, well, Pilate thought to be a rebellion, but that's another story. Verse 2 says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? So as, as these men, these Galileans, are bringing this issue up that Pilate had killed these people while they were doing sacrifices, he asked the question, Are they worse sinners than other Galileans uh, who suffered such things? Do you, do you think that it's because of their sin issue that they died? Well, verse 3, Jesus said, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, what Jesus is saying here is that, look, they're no worse sinners than the other sinners. But, and, and, and the fact is, is people are, uh, you know, people can't, can't really do anything about their own sin. But if you repent, then something can be done about your sin. So if you don't repent, you will likewise perish. So it's not about being a greater sinner than somebody else or a lesser sinner. It's about the, the issue of sin in an individual's life. Uh, 
Verse 4, or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You see, Jesus came and he became a man, tempted in every way but without sin, that he might die on a cross for you and for me, that he might take our sin upon himself, that he might give to you his righteousness for your sin. It's a pretty incredible trade when you think about it. In fact, it's a trade you and I don't deserve, that wonderful grace of God that says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest from your labors. Jesus loves for you to come to him. And Jesus calls for you to come to him. Come to me all you, he invites you to come. Because the fact is, is he recognizes that you, the sinner, can't do anything about your sin. You are dead in your sins and transgressions. But praise God that he can do something for you. And he's made a way for you. And all who turn to him might have life and have it to an abundance. That when we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we cross over from death to life. Romans, Paul writes that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, it seems easy, I know, but trust me, it wasn't easy. There was nothing easy about it for Christ. There was nothing easy about it, but it was needed for God to reconcile you to himself. Knowing that you have such a good God, why can't you trust God with your sin? Why can't you trust him to repent of it and turn to him and not keep covering up sin in your life? That's the challenge, really. And, and maybe it's a, a message that you're given to give to somebody else, that God is the overcomer, the one who gives us victory, and there will be no victory in walking in darkness or hiding or deceiving uh, like David did. But we're going to see that God won't allow it to go on because God cares for David and God wants uh, David to walk uprightly before him. Turn with me over to Psalm 32. This is the last scripture tonight we're going to look at in closing. Psalm 32. Psalm 32 and verse 1. We started to read this a little bit last night. Or last, sorry, last week's last Sunday. It's getting towards the end of Sunday night. So, <laughs> so there's a title that the New King James Bible gives to this psalm, the joy of forgiveness. And, and it's a psalm of David. And it says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, I don't know if David wrote this in the process of his confrontation with Nathan or, or post-Nathan, but I, it certainly seems right about that right time that David recognizes, and this is probably one of the things that makes David a man after God's own heart, is he's not content with this sin in his life. He's covered it up. He's, from 
all eyes, human eyes. He's gotten away with it, but yet he's rotting inside. He, he's dying inside. His bones are growing old. His groaning all the day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength turned to the drought of summer. Man, he was just plagued by a conscience. And that's probably one of the worst places to be as a believer is someone who knows the truth and walks with God but has, has grieved the Holy Spirit through sin and is walking in this sin, plagued with this guilty conscience, knowing that there's a way to be set free, but you just won't do it. So I want to encourage you, if there's sin, ongoing sin in your life, don't leave here tonight without coming, getting prayer. Get prayed over. Start, start working towards walking in the light and walking with Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this time together in your word. And Lord, we don't want to be like David in this chapter. Lord, we want to be like David as a valiant warrior for your name. We want to be like David, the man who danced before you with all of his might, just being totally undone for you. Lord, we want to be like David who wanted to build a home for you, to bless your name. Not the David who is just fallen so, so from such a great height and doing this terrible thing with Bathsheba and Uriah. So, Lord, right now we come before you and we confess sin. Holy Spirit, you know the, way that, the ways that are in us. You know any unclean thing that we've done, said, the rebellion that we've set out to do in our hearts. Now we confess that to you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and just and good and will forgive us of all unrighteousness. And Lord, we, we want to be set free, so give us the victory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And if you're in here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus, I want to encourage you, you call upon his name. You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. Don't leave this room without knowing victory in Christ. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Revelation, you know, the letters to the churches are um, encouraging. Sometimes they're sad, though, because you see churches that have uh, allowed themselves to be corrupted and stained with sin. And to the church in Laodicea, Jesus not only corrected them and rebuked them for being lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, but, but then he encourages them to turn, and he says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And Jesus is for you, not against you. And if you're struggling with being lukewarm, if you're struggling with allowing your life to be marked by this hidden sin, I can't encourage you enough to be set free from that and, and take part in sitting on that throne with the Lord Jesus. Now may the Lord bless you, may he keep you, may he encourage your heart that you might walk with him in peace and freedom. Amen.